Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Italian American Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We talk to experts, authors, and everyday Italian Americans on all things Italian from traditions, culture, food, genealogy, travel, and more. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I have with me my co host, Dolores Alfieri, and we are doing our first episode today where we're going to go on site somewhere downtown in Little Italy, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But really, we're thrilled about some of the feedback we've gotten from the show so far from some of the listeners with this whole idea of spreading the word about Italian-American heritage. And actually, in this episode, we're back in the studio after visiting Little Italy in New York City. We visited the Italian-American Museum, and we got the opportunity to interview Dr. Joseph Shelsa, who's the president and CEO of the museum. And it was an amazing interview, wasn't it, Dolores? Yeah, it really was, Anthony. Dr. Shelsa is, I think, very much like the Italian American Museum. You know, you can see his personality in it, in that um, they're both really down to earth, really warm, and just full of this wealth of Italian American history. Really, really awesome guy. And he was super generous with his time and just really welcomed us in. He did. He did. He really did. And like Dolores said, and like you'll hear in the interview in a few minutes, the place is warm and the place feels like, I guess, feels like home if you're an Italian-American yeah. because of, <laughs> of the surroundings, of the photos, of the way that they've set the museum up. And it's small right now and, and they're going to be expanding it. But in just in the small space, the way they've set it up with the photos, the way they laid it out, it's really, it's just comfortable, isn't it, Dolores? It is. And I, here's what I, I feel like our listeners who have not been there yet, here's what they should know. If you've ever wondered what life was like for your grandparents or your great grandparents, or, you know, even maybe further back, depending. And, and not just, not just what it was like, but the feel of it, like the look of it, the kind of taste and touch of it, go to the Italian American museum because you will, you get that feeling. You walk into it. It's awesome. It is. It's really cool. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to introduce Dr. Shelsa real quickly, just so you can learn a little bit about him. And then I'm going to give you a quote, which I really love that I think kind of really captures this episode. And then we'll jump right into the interview. Dr. Joseph Shelsa, he is the president and CEO of the Italian American Museum in the heart of New York City's historic Little Italy, which by the way, unfortunately, isn't as big as it used to be. And he'll talk about that in the interview. He is also a licensed mental health counselor in New York State and has spent the majority of his professional career 35 years in academia. Dr. Shelsa is a fountain of knowledge about Italian and Italian-American history, and he's really a leader in sharing this knowledge with the world, which is exactly what we're trying to do on this podcast, which makes him such an interesting person for Dolores and I to interview. His impressive background is not just an Italian-American experience. He's got a lot of other amazing accolades as a, as a professional. And what's interesting is I was reading on the website is he estimates 
that about as many non-Italian Americans as Italian Americans have, have come to the museum and enjoyed it, which is amazing for him and I think amazing for us because it's getting the Italian American heritage out there beyond just the the confines of the Italian American community, which is awesome. And what he says on the website, he's quoted as saying, and this is so evident in the interview, he says, people want to be able to be in touch with their past. And even if it's not their past, so many people are entering, learning about other people's past, seeing what America was like before. The more we understand ourselves, the more we understand each other. And you'll hear in this, and I think you'll probably remember this part, Dolores, when he's talking a little bit about Sunday dinners at grandma's and how his friends ended yeah. up wanting to go there more than him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, you know, as we've discussed many times with, with various guests already, there is this, we've used the word warmth. This is now the third time so far, but there is a warmth among Italian Americans that um, not everybody gets to experience. So growing up, Dr. Shelsa, um, growing up in the Bronx, yeah, he said his his Irish friends, his Jewish friends, they just they would want to hang out on, for Sunday dinner with his family for hours and hours and hours just to be a part of that. It's beautiful. Absolutely. All right, so here is the interview. Enjoy it. I'm going to give you a quote to take us into it from Robert Browning, who was an English poet. He said, open my heart and you will see graved inside of it, Italy. All right, so we are here at the Italian American Museum in Little Italy, New York City, with Dr. Shelsa, who is the director of the museum, founder of the museum. And we're obviously excited to be here. The Italian American podcast is about learning about your heritage as a second, third, fourth generation Italian American, whoever you may be or whatever you may be in your family. And this is where you know we hope to learn from, uh, talk to Dr. Shelsa about that now. Dr. Shelsa, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you both. So, Dr. Shelsa, the podcast, as I just referenced, is really, you know, a lot of Italian-Americans today, at least in our generation, don't understand what their families went through, how they came here, why they came here, where they're actually from. And we're trying to help them to discover that through this podcast. And obviously what you've done here with the museum is... is uh, amazing for someone to walk through. They can capture a lot of that here. Why don't you tell us first about your background and where your family's from? Well, I represent Southern Italy. My, my, <laughs> my grandparents all come from the South. My father's family comes from a small town by the name of Kakama in the province of Palermo. Came here into America, my grandfather and my grandmother, in 1900 on my father's side. And my mother's family actually came a little earlier in the 1880s. And they came from a small town, my grandfather came from a small town called Castrovillade in the province of Cosenza in Calabria. And my great-grandmother came from someplace outside of Naples, which we're not sure. And we've talked, we talked a little bit before here, and you did trace your ancestors back quite a bit. Yeah, I've traced both my, my father's family and my mother's father's family back into the 1600s in both Sicily and Calabria. And uh, it's, it's amazing. I've made such incredible connections, too, because out like everybody else, you know, I'm on Facebook. Yeah. And, you know, people have identified me and got in touch right. with me. Oh, wow. As a matter of fact, just, just last week, uh, Valentina Shelsa came in to see me. And I knew more about, and she lives in Rome now, but they originally came from Palermo. I know more about my family, our family. Than she does because mm. I've been because I've been interest, interested in it and it was a very it's a very heartwarming experience. I've also met through the internet through through Facebook, Mena Lagama, 
which is my mother's maiden name, who lives in Castelvillare. And she's filled in a lot of the pieces for Amazing. me with my family over there as well. So even though, you know, we live an ocean away, right. we're still finding the connections again. And it's something very special because I believe, and I'm sure this is true of other groups too besides Italians, but it's particularly true of Italians. There's a special bond that takes place that you just know when you're amongst other, other people like yourself, mm-hmm. um, that you just, just feel it. Right. It's not something that you have to think about. You just know it because you also you know how to you automatically know how to interact with each other. Yes. You understand the customs. Right. You, it, they just your place, and that's that's a very you know very uh, settling and feeling that gives you a sense of identity and why I think we are internally so secure as a people. Very mm. connected. And, yeah, connected, and why so many people are attracted to Italians as well. I mean, you know, besides that's really having the besides having the most Popular food in America, pizza is mm-hmm. the most popular fast food. But also, <laughs> people love Italian food. It's not just about the food. I mean, yes, the food is delicious. Right. But it's just it's about the generativity. It's about the the warmth and the openness, yeah. the connection that people feel when they're around you, even if they're not part of the same right. ethnic group. It's the as family you are. feel, no matter who you are, you know, you're connected. I think it goes beyond just personal family. Right, right, right. Like, but it's, it feels like a family, even though you're not blood connected, right. related necessarily. It's, it's like a community. Feel. You feel a community. That's what you feel down here in Little Italy, too. Yeah. That's what they felt down here in Little Italy. Sure. You know, as as I as I told you before. Mulberry Street was the Neapolitan Street because the people came right. from a chain migration yeah. to Mulberry Street. Uh, one would tell another, would tell another, there's work in America, come and stay with me. Elizabeth Street was the same way for the Sicilians. Elizabeth Street became the Sicilian Street that way. And there was a sense of everybody looking after each other. Mm. This was the safest place to live in New York City. The safest place. I believe, I totally believe that and I have no problem seeing that. Please say more, tell more, yeah. No, it was the the safest place to live because everybody looked out for everybody else. It wasn't, you know, a lot of times people think of because that nefarious word, mafia, Mm -hmm. you know, was because it was protected in that way. No, no, no. Had nothing to do with that. Had to do with, like, if your mother saw you doing, your your grandmother saw you doing something, she'd be telling the other grandmother what went on, (laughs) and before you got home, you were in trouble. But everybody understood what the word respect meant. Mm. And it wasn't, it meant that you respected each other and you knew your place and you didn't step out of, and you didn't step out of line some people in america think that's repressive i think it's i think it's family and you all one big family they're one big family here hmm. and now it doesn't exist anymore i mean literally it's gotten smaller and smaller there's 150 blocks here now it's you know just a two or three blocks long right. and it's really just a you know a representation of what once was there are some old timers that still live here yeah not too many though right not too many that was beautifully said. It was be- I, you know, so we spoke a little before we um, started doing the podcast, but growing up, I actually did get to experience that, what you just described. Not here in Little Italy. Grew up um, about 45 minutes north of the city, but I grew up around Italian-Americans. It was kind of this second wave. My parents came in the late 60s, and I was surrounded by aunts, uncles, and you know, the extended family of friends who were uh, like family. And and I very much felt that, you know, if I was going out in public, if I was at the grocery store, you behaved because you had family everywhere and they were looking for you, you know, and they were looking out for you and the same exact thing that you expressed. But Anthony, I was thinking about the quote um, in our first episode, the Martin Scorsese quote. Yeah. 
um, and, and he says many things in, in that quote. He says there's there was a dignity to these people that he grew up around. You know, these Italian Americans in the Lower East Side, and I feel like everything you just described. Well, they were they were very proud people. Yeah. I mean, you know, and they were very and even though their homes were maybe seen as very humble by today's standards, you know, their homes were excuse the you know the expression they were their castles, yeah. but they were just warm and inviting. Right. You could not go into somebody's house and not be served, be given whatever they had to offer. Sometimes they take off out of their own mouths to serve somebody else, right. but that's the way they were. And still are today. I mean, that's that's just that's just the way it is. The the hospitality is overwhelming. It's just a way of life. It's a way of looking at things, looking at the world, and caring about people. I mean, one of the tragedies of World War II. We all know about you know how many unfortunates there were who were killed in the Holocaust. What people don't know about is how many Italians mm. saved Jews during World War II. And it's just an incredible story that's just now starting starting to be told because Italian didn't see. Jews as being anything but other people just like them, and especially especially the Italian Jews. Right. So they protected them, you know, at risk to their own lives, terrible risk to their own lives. But as a people, they're just very humanistic right. and very caring. You know, you're dealing with societies that have existed for thousands of years, not even hundreds of years, thousands of years. And it was a very staid society in which people didn't really move up from the lower classes to the upper classes. So within their own particular class, all those mores and norms were established, and they just knew how to be. And the most important thing in their lives was people, family first, family. yes, but people. Yeah, you know, it, because governments, well, they come mm. and they go, mm. and they rule and they and they discriminate and they and they hurt you. But people are people, and they never, and they just—that's all they care about. So, governments aren't important. People are important. That's what Italian is. Mm. Yeah, that's great. And the, and the the reason this neighborhood and many other neighborhoods across the country was the safest is because there was a pride too. This is our home. This is where we live, and so it was going to be that safe, and it was going to be that beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. you know, like you know, you could be. A young woman walking home at two o'clock in the morning, and you wouldn't have to worry. Yeah, Most amazing. people tell me stories about the old timers here, about how they all used to live with their doors open, you know, unlocked, and nobody would ever touch anything. You know, it was just it was just not unheard of. It was just a very very safe place to be because everybody, like I said, everybody looked out for everybody else. About how long do you think that that lasted into the 20th century? That kind of neighborhood here in Little Italy. Well, it started it started to disperse, particularly after World War II. When the GIs came back, you know, what often happens, and the other story, the other story that is also important is the Italians during World War II were some of the most patriotic Americans mm. that there were. They hated the idea that they were considered to be enemy aliens during World War II. They hated it. Uh, and fortunately, Roosevelt only did that for a year on October 12th, Columbus Day, 1942. He lifted the band. But, you know, they were tremendously patriotic. Often people who are in that position, the Japanese Americans are patriotic too. Mm-hmm. You know, when they're in that position, they want to show and express themselves and show how loyal they are. And they love this country. You know, my wife's 92-year-old grandfather, when he passed away 20 years ago, before he died, I asked him why he never went back to Sicily. He came from a small town called Catholica in near Catania. And he never went back. And I says, Papa, why you didn't go back? I said, I had just gone to Rome, Florence, and Venice. I hadn't been to the South yet. 
and maybe it's a little more than 20 years <laughs> because I've been back <laughs> in the South a lot. Anyway, so he said to me, La America, she's in my country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I says, what do you mean? I says, you were born in Italy. I mean, you know, this, no, America is my country. I came here, I ate steak once a week, and I fed my family. In Italy, I was lucky if I had a little cornelio, yeah. a little rabbit, yeah. once a year, wow. and maybe an egg for my birthday. He says, here, I ate steak once a week. So they could work here. They They could earn money here. Whereas in Italy, you'd work and you didn't get any money. You know, you'd work all week and get nothing. You know, so here you worked, you got paid, you could buy food, you know, clothing. You know, eventually they sent their children to school. They got educated. In the beginning, that wasn't as important to them. But eventually they did. And today, Italians are amongst the most successful people in America. Sure, yeah. And and we've had this conversation, it seems like, with every guest where the people that are three, four generations out say, you know, I don't understand why my relatives would have left a place like Italy, but it's exactly what you just explained, is that they, they were starving, right? they were yeah. starving, they had no, and, and, but it was interesting to hear that, yeah. you know, his, his angle of this is my country, this is where I raised my family. Right. A deep gratitude for a country that had given them all of that, I mean, absolutely, exactly. absolutely, they, exactly. they were able to make empires, of little empires, but, you know, sometimes very big empires, but still, the, the things they couldn't have done back home. Absolutely, yeah. you know, this gave them so much opportunity. Yes, there was a lot of hard times, but they put their heads down and they just took it on the chin. That's right. And they just kept moving on. And, you know, that's why, you know, they didn't look for handouts. They didn't look for welfare or, you know, that's the truth. They they just, you know, they toughed it out. They went to each other. There were a lot of mutual aid societies also. Every town had their own social club, whether you were the Cacamese from Cacamo or the Castrovillarese from you know, Castro Villare, my grandfather's. Right. You know, and they would have their own social clubs, but they would also have mutual aid societies where they would, if somebody was in trouble and needed help, they could go to their own and get help. Right. They didn't go to the government for it. Mm. Was that, it was that something about them, yeah. It, yeah. Says, it says a lot about them taking care of themselves. It's a beautiful thing. I believe that we need to stay in touch with that. I believe that we, need, we have something great to contribute to America as a people not just because of our genius, not just because of our artistic abilities, which is absolutely everywhere, absolutely everywhere, but because of our humanity. And we need to be able to share that, and other people will follow us, and we need to not be afraid of of saying that we are of Italian heritage and really knowing what that means so that others will follow us as well. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. So take us now to the museum. How did the museum, the Italian-American well, Museum, come about? This museum is an idea as time has come. What happened was it was a natural progression from the things that I was doing prior to that. In 1984, I became director of the Italian-American Institute at the City University of New York, which eventually became the Calandra Italian-American Institute. I became the dean. And in 1999, with the help of the Distinguished Professor of Italian-American Studies, Philip Canestraro, I mounted a four-month-long exhibition at the New York Historical Society on the Italians of New York, Five Centuries of Struggle and Achievement. It was hugely successful. Yeah, I remember that. You uh-huh. were there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was usually, oh, I was the one who started. I was the one who was the impresario behind it. Mm-hmm. It was hugely successful. And I realized for the first time that this was a way to reach more people to explain what we were about than any other activity. You could read all the books you want, watch the movies, but when you could actually see the artifacts and really come close to them, then you really got a feeling for what it was, all, what it was really all about. So I investigated, and about a year later, in 
on June 12th, 2001 actually, because the exhibit closed in 1999, I was chartered by the University of the State of New York as the first Italian-American museum in the United States of America. Wonderful. Not just in New York, yeah. but in the United States of America. Wow. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Since I started this, there are at least four others that are trying to do the same thing. Really? There's one in Philadelphia that's starting. There's one in Rhode Island that's starting. There's one in L.A. is supposed to open up before the end of the year. And there's already one in New Orleans in Louisiana. But I was, this is the first one in America. And it makes sense. They would be here in New York. Because New York had the largest Italian population right. outside of Italy. Sure. You know, and it would make sense that it would be here. And it made, we found this location in 2007, and we actually had to raise the money, I had to raise over three and a half million dollars just for the down payment with some very good board members. And we wanted to find a place that made sense. Ellis Island makes sense for all immigrants. This Little Italy represents all the Little Italies all over the world, mm -hmm. and particularly, yeah. particularly in, the, in the United States. And this was the largest one, so it makes sense to be here. Right here on the corner of Grand and Mulberry Street was the center, the heart of it. So this made sense. And it's been a struggle. You know, we were, right after 2008, the market went kaput. Yeah. You know, we had a very difficult time. My board members put their shoulders to it, and they kept funding the place. We run at a deficit all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is, this is a, a not-for-profit that just never makes money. And maybe the next generation after me, it'll make money you know, as, a, as a bigger museum. But, you know, it starts, start, has to start someplace. But... Exactly for why you're doing the podcast is why I'm doing the museum. Mm. To help people to understand who they are, not only Italians, but non-Italians as well. Sure. We see a lot of school groups, a lot of young people come in here, and a lot of tourists. And they understand, they get to see the similarities and the differences between their own immigration. Yeah. You know, and they learn that you know, this is a process, a little bit different for each group, the Americanization process, but it's a process that we all go through. Mm. And, you know, right. when I have Hispanics or Asians coming in here, they see it and get it. And I tell them, you know, unfortunately, I went to Columbia University. My son went to Harvard. But that didn't happen the first generation. Right. 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 You know, so your children are going to do better than you. I know it's hard to tell young people to be patient. <laughs> but that's the process. Yeah. And if you, if you stay the course, you will get there. But you have to stay the course. Just work hard and study hard and do the best you can do, and your next generation will do better right. than you. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so good. with everything that you just laid out, I mean, it sounds to me like this Herculean task, right? I mean, it, let's be honest, it's New York City, it's Mulberry Street, real estate. It, it couldn't have been cheap, to say the least. It's nine and a half million dollars. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, I mean, the fundraising, the whole thing to me seems so grand, yet you kept with it, you're keeping with it, despite all the changes that are happening in the market, I mean, you've touched a little bit on that of why, but I would like you to go a little bit deeper if you can, because I sometimes find that drive amorphous. Like It's hard to pin down sometimes. What is it about you and, by extension, us that makes this well, you, place you so... Said, you said it before, Dolores. Yeah. You know, I, what did you say, Scorsese said? How did you say it? Uh, there was a, um, a, a decency to those dignity. people, a dignity, dignity. to these people, well, Italian-Americans. I feel that dignity. I personally feel that dignity, and I really feel that I want other people to respect us mm. because I feel it. But before we can expect them to respect us, we have to understand it ourselves, where it comes from and why it exists. It's not just because we're just blowhards or we, do, we think better of ourselves than anybody right. else. It's because we have something special about us. Once we understand that more, we can share it. 
I don't want Italian Americans to ever feel like they have to take a second seat to anybody. And I don't want Italian Americans to think that they need to associate with Northern Italy mm. because it's different than Southern Italy. Right. All right? I want them to appreciate their own culture, their own way of life. And that's for me that what this is about. And I think I'm doing a little bit of that. You definitely do. You're doing more than a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. we mean we spoke off um, off tape about um, how when I walk into this museum, it, it feels like, I mean, home. It feels like everything I've known and never knew almost. And it's nothing just, gives me more pleasure, Loris, than to do the programs that we do here. Plus. To talk to the people who come in, I like to play like a fly on the wall. Mm. Like I don't like to tell people who I am sometimes and that I started this and that, you know, that I'm responsible really for just about everything. You know, but I don't do that. I want to just hear them talk right. to me and tell Smart. me their story yeah. and let them tell me how their story, which I've heard a version of a thousand times. Um. But it's so special to them because they've never had a place collectively where they could share it before. Right. You know, to them was a personal story to their family only. But these stories have a common thread that's right. that everybody ha- that we can share, right. and that's what this place does. And some of the programs that I offer, whether it's a play that's been done by um, Vincent Emilio, um, Curveballs and Canoes, uh, which was a play about a, a bakery where, where a young man had to make a decision whether to go become the baker or to go into uh, baseball. Mm. You know, it, the conflict inside of him. But sharing those stories with, with an audience that wants to be able to understand. That conflict yeah. that one feels inside of oneself is very special to me. And we all have those conflicts. But I think for Italians, when it comes to family, yeah. it's the hardest. I mean, why Italians don't want to go and live uh, as far away from That's their right. own families? Yeah. Why they want to stay connected? I mean, one of the things I miss the most, and I used to hate it as a child. I mean, I, really, I wouldn't say hate, but I didn't, I didn't appreciate it. The Sunday dinners where I would have to be mm. there for five hours. Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even though even though I had the children's table and you know yeah, we had, yeah, yeah. my cousins and everything, but you had to be there for five of hours. Course, yeah. And you know my my friends would come over, and a lot of them were not Italian. You know what I mean because I lived in a multicultural area. I mean some of them were Jewish, some of them were Irish. You know that was the extent of the multiculturalism, I guess. But you know it's Jewish, Irish, and they wanted to stay. Oh, I was. They, they wanted to going, stay. Yeah, of course they, they did. They wanted to stay. They yeah. loved it because uh-huh. there was that sense of family That's there. Right. Plus the food was phenomenal. Right. Yeah. So you know they want. They, and I would say, come on, let's go already. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, you know let's go and go and play ball. You yeah. know. No, they wanted. To, they wanted to stay. Yeah. But I missed that, and I may do something about that. Like what? Is it a surprise? I want to be a part of it, whatever it is. Necessity is the mother of invention. So when there's something that you need to do, you'll create it. And I have a need to do this. I mean, I'm going to be doing my first Christmas party dinner here. Next door will be the restaurant. And here will be a cocktail reception. And this will happen on December 17th here. But I'm actually thinking that, like, you know, having the Sunday dinner... It's not a bad idea. Not just because our families are now so dispersed, yeah. but people want to have that feeling yeah, that, that they really can do. come in a, in, a, in a setting that they feel like it's their family. And I think I can create that here. It's, you know, it's interesting you said that because we, we interviewed John Cahey, this gentleman that wrote some books about Sicily. He has a really good friend. She spends half the year in New York City and half the year in Sicily. She's Sicilian. She's a cook. 
and she takes families from New York and she brings them to Sicily, not on, a, on some glamorous trip, into a Sicilian's home and they have dinner together. It's because they want Cause have, they, want they just want the feeling that, that experience what you're trying yeah. to create. Exactly. Yeah. There's it's that warmth and that you know it was family first that as you described like the uh, non-Italian the, as we would call them the American friends in, in that sense. Uh, didn't really have in the same way at home, which doesn't mean all of their families were not families, but there's something specific about the Italians that... Um, when, I, when I grew up, it was mandatory that you'd be there on Sunday. Sure. There was no... There was it. There was nothing else mattered. You know, then as, of course, as, you, as I got older and my family, unfortunately, got smaller yeah. and my aunts and uncles passed away, you know, now it's the holidays and I miss it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I miss it. So for me, like I said, necessity is the mother of invention. I recreated it here. Yeah. So I get that feeling here. Just as you told me, Dolores, when you walked in, yeah. you felt it. Mm-hmm. Yep. That makes me feel good because that's what I want people to feel when Wonderful. they walk in. It does. It doesn't feel, you know, I mean, I love museums, but some people can be like, oh, museums are cold and stuffy, but this is not. This is, this is warm yeah, and a homey, <clears throat> and you kind of want to hang out and you want to look around and... Like you just want to lay on a, you want a couch to be there, and you want to lay there and have Nona cooking in the in the kitchen. That's <laughs> beautifully Chelsea, done. Where, where did you get all, all this stuff from? Was yeah. it a collection, or how did it? You know, it's amazing. I have so much more in storage that I don't have on display because there's just so much, so many things that people have donated. Everybody, people donate things to me all the time. Right. Um, they don't know what to do with it mostly, and, and they know that unless there's somebody like the three of us mm. yeah. in their family. That you know, you in your case, younger people and in the family, that somebody's going to put in a dumpster when they die. Right, right. So people continually donate these things to us. I can't take two more of certain things. I mean, I have enough Biancaria that I could put a linen store together. Yeah. You know, but you know, I can't take it unless it's something from somebody that's, you know, very unique or something. You know, right. I, could, I would take it, but otherwise, I have enough of those. But you do get a lot of interesting things. Just last week, um, I received from someone in Maryland um, a lithograph of La Mano Nera, the Black Hand. It was, oh, a character, wow. it was a caricature of the Black Hand around 1900. They don't know the exact date. Uh, now, the Black Hand was very prevalent in all Little Italy's. It was Italian on Italian crime. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, unfortunately was not a good thing. But all ethnic groups experience this. There's always... You know, black on black crime, Hispanic mm-hmm. on Hispanic crime. Mm-hmm. The more likely that the immigrant is going to be, you know, be set upon by their own than by somebody else. Right. That's usually that's unfortunately usually the way it works. But the black hand was particularly terrible. Later became mafia. It wasn't in the beginning. A lot of loose groups that were doing this, extorting money from people who made a few dollars or had a business. They were threatening them with dynamite to blow up the building or to steal their children to you know do terrible things. But as you said, where do I get these things? So this, this person said, this belongs in your museum. Would you like to have it? He said, what's too sh- interesting? When I did the exhibit at the New York Historical Society, an older cousin of mine, I was in the attic rummaging through all the boxes and, and trunks, and in between the linens was this, this letter. It was a black hand letter. Mm. And I pick it up, and my cousin says, no, you don't want that. I said, what do you mean I don't want that? I said, no, that's bad. It's not nasty. You don't want to show that. You want to show the good things. <laughs> I says, no, I want to show the entire experience. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that, that letter is now on display in the museum. It's been in several books since, because oh, wow. this original Black Hand letter was given to my family, my 
father's mother's family, Javenko was their name. Wow. It's on, on display. But I want people to understand the entire experience. Right. It is as good for Americans, too, because it lets them understand that not only whether you're Hispanic or Asian or African-American, you, can, you have to understand that you know, you're not the only group that is being besieged by bad people within your own group. Right. Other people have it, too. Mm-hmm. And later on, you know, they, you know, some of these nefarious groups, these groups organized better and unfortunately it was a time in which they could do it because of prohibition and you know they became La Cosa Nostra in the United States which is called euphemistically the mafia they then just did it to everybody it wasn't just to Italians but it's part of our history Mm -hmm. it's part of our unfortunate legacy but to not look at the truth is ridiculous. That's yeah. not knowing where you're really from. That's right. only seeing some of the good stuff. And in. a lot of the reasons why Italians kept quiet too, I believe, was because they were ashamed of this. Mm. You know, they were ashamed of this this stigma. And you know, and the good Italians didn't like the fact that there were these net bad people yeah. out there. Right. They didn't yeah. like it. They tried to get away from it. Yeah. Try to become more American. Yeah. Almost were forced to become less Italian. Because they were afraid of it. They, want, yeah. they were not only afraid of it physically, they were afraid that outsiders would think that that's who they are. Right. I mean, still to this day, people passed innuendos and, and would think off-color jokes. Yeah. You know, when I became director of the Italian-American Institute at City University, somebody called me a Don. You know, I mean, I remember my son went to one of the most prestigious private schools in New York City. You know, when he was about 11 years old, somebody asked him if his father was part of the mafia. I got and asked he, that all the time growing up, and I would be like, no. <laughs> no, he works really hard, just like your father. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, you're people, right, but this is what people got to... You know, about. there's old, some old studies have been done from, you know, about 20 years ago. But, it, but at that time, and it showed that like 75% of all Americans thought Italian-Americans were either involved or knew someone involved in organized crime. Yeah. You know, this is Americans. So, you know, that's a terrible stigma. And if you happen to be Sicilian, which I am, mm-hmm. you know, that's even more prevalent. It's even more prevalent. Mm-hmm. But... I consider Sicilians to be very resourceful and intelligent people. Agreed. Well, I think it's a testament, too, to how vibrant our people and our culture are and is, because in spite of that huge image of the mafia and gangsters, there is still this enormous love in America, you know, for the Italians and for the food and the warmth and the passion and the family, you know. That's what came out not when Scorsese did it, but when Coppola did Godfather. That's what people, I believe, are really drawn to in the I movie. Agree. Not I agree. really the violence. Right. You know, if, yep. in, in, really not. Mm-hmm. It's really more sh- trying, family. Sh- having family. Yes. And unfortunately, they, it's in a crime setting. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's about family. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the codes, you know, the codes that... And not, not, not the mafia side of the codes, the family codes. Right. There, there were... There were <clears throat> rules in a culture that you grew up with that you were loyal to you know children need rules to put out and it makes them comfortable makes all people comfortable when you know what you're responsible for and how far you can go you know what you're supposed to do you feel a sense of stability Mm -hmm. you know when you don't have that you have chaos right and so you know it and we have a lot of chaos yeah and unfortunately that we need more rules you know, we look. People look today towards religions to do the, to provide them with the rules. Sometimes, certainly, government provides its own set of rules, but not necessarily strictly enforced. But when you have a family that has a, has rules and regulations, and and not that they're onerous, but that they make sense, sure, then it's a good thing. People feel comfortable. 
and feel secure. Sure. Tell us about some of the programs or some of the things you do do at the museum. I mentioned, I think, one of the plays that we had. You know, we also have cultural events. Um, this tomorrow night, we'll be having Michael Castaldo, who will be uh, who's who's a singer. He's a tenor, but he's written a songbook. And he's going to be presenting that here tomorrow night, oh, wow. doing some songs also mm, as well. Beautiful. You know, we we also have book readings, a lot of them. Okay. And I try to give Italian Italian American authors and non Italians who write about Italians an opportunity to present their work for a, for a niche audience. That not everybody's interested in these topics, but I do get quite a few of them. I have a lot of Sicilian Americans that come here because we do a lot. We've been doing a lot of cultural events that are around around Sicily because there just seems to be a lot of culture there. And that it's and whether it's Abu Sikler and um, Gitano Cipolla who's been here, or it's Sante Buscemi who's who's translated some of Capuano's books, and really gives you an insight into life in Sicily prior to 1900, which is really amazing. I bet. Because I can't read Sicilian. I don't know how many people can. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's not something that everybody has yeah. at their disposal. But when you have the translation and you start to understand, and even with that, it's not as, as good as being able to read it in, real, in the actual language. But you start to understand a lot better why things happen the way they happen. Sure. And why people did things the way they did them. I'm, I'll give you an example. My grandmother used to complain, my, mo- my father's mother, all the time that she had married beneath her. Mm. And why, why was that? Because they both came from the town of Kakamo in Sicily. Now, you and I would look at them and say... They come this, you know, they came from Kakamo. Right. My grandmother's family had a little land. My grandfather's family didn't. Mm. <laughs> they come to America. <laughs> they come to America. Yeah. They neither one of them has anything. <laughs> but my family had land. Right. You know, so yeah. she's of a higher class. You know, I mean, but now we look at it and we laugh, and yeah. you're right to laugh. Yeah. But that was serious. Oh, I bet. Oh, yeah. I bet she meant it seriously. Yeah. And because remember what I said. These are generations and generations and generations of living in that small town environment where the slightest little advantage that somebody had over another one was seen as being huge. Because, yeah. yeah, because land or no land there was like, yeah. It's a big deal. So yeah. that'll give you some insight into it. I've got a book about Kakamo also where my grandmother's family was big on respect. And some man had disrespected him in some way, and he caned him. You know, <laughs> you know just beat him up with a cane. And yeah. it's in the book, you know, because you know, he had talked, didn't give him the respect that he thought he mm-hmm. should have. It's because, I guess, because he was a landed gentleman. Sure. But, you know, I look at it, and I, and I kind of laugh about it a little bit, but at the same time, I do understand why I want respect. Right. You know, respect, <laughs> respect that word. I mean, just for you to bring it up, I'd love for you to talk a little more about it. Personally, if you ask me what is... If I had to choose one thing and say, what is the top thing the Italian-Americans you know and you grew up around had and demanded, my answer without hesitation would be respect. That word, that idea, it just was plastered over my upbringing. And I don't find that to be the case with necessarily a lot of other people I grew up around. And I wonder if you just want to talk about that well, for it's, a little it's bit. Well, it's, like, a, it's like, a, like I was saying, it comes from the old country. Whether you're Sicilian, Calabrese, Napolitan, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It comes from the old country. And you know, all the people, what, they didn't have much. What they had was their respect. Yeah. Right. They didn't have much land. They didn't have much food. They didn't have much of anything. But they had their respect. That was their value. And they wanted to maintain that. Without having that, you know, they really didn't have anything. Right. So that's what, it was was, very, that's what was really valuable to them. It wasn't exactly. the food or whatever else that they didn't have. It was the respect that yeah. they wanted to yeah. hold on to. Yeah. 
And I feel like to our listeners, if there's nothing else you want to take pride in, in being an Italian American, like take pride in that. You know, that's in you. That's in your blood. That. Well, I think I think I think unfortunately some, and I say unfortunately, some Italian Americans do take pride in themselves, but don't but don't understand what it's all about, and, and it's it's bravado. They think it's bravado. It's right, not bravado. Not the same. Mm-mm. You know, it's it's what I would call machismo. You know, it's like holding yourself in a certain way. You don't have to be a braggart or a show or to show off or a show off. You just hold yourself in a certain way. You maintain your certain dignity, and other people will fall in line. You do it in quiet respect. You don't do it in a boisterous That's right. way. That's right. Walk like a king among men. Very well Very put. Mm-hmm. So, so what are the plans for the museum moving forward? Well, we're looking to expand even more. I mean, this is the new room that we're sitting in right now. It's a new gallery. It's only a year old. Yeah, you know, and this was a big accomplishment for us, considering the financial burdens that we had. Uh, but we've managed to do this. The action, we have another room like it downstairs as well. But we're hoping, right now we have gallery space and exhibit space for around 2,000 square feet. The overall plan will be about 6,000. Wow. So we have, we, have a lot more to, we have a lot more to show. A lot more to You're not I, stopping. No. 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 I love it. No, you know, <laughs> but, but I, I know to be successful here, I can't have my reach go beyond my grasp. Mm. So I have to do it incrementally. I wish I was your age. <laughs> I really do. Because I wish I had to, not that I want to be young, but I, I wish I had the time. Some more time. Because yeah. I'm realistic yeah. enough to know that I don't. And I need to find young people that are interested and wanting to work in this area because it's not, and it's difficult because it's not a very financially rewarding area. Yeah. But I do have found very, very good young people that have done it. The museum studies is a phenomenon that's taken place over the last 20 years. Before that, didn't exist in colleges and universities. I've had a number of them that have come to us that have been great interns and gone on to other places mm-hmm. and continue to give back to the museum. So I'm hopeful when that expansion comes that I'll be able to find um, the right people. You know, will it be as as it is now? No. I'm realistic enough to know that it's not going to be. Because what it is now is me. Mm. You know, at that point, it's going to become more of an institution. Mm. And with that, hopefully, it won't get lost along the way like the Ford Foundation is. I mean, Henry Ford might be turning over in his grave. You know, <laughs> the way the Ford Foundation is so ultra-liberal. Ultra yeah. You know, and Ford was ultra conservative. Yeah. I'm not saying that I'm ultra conservative, but I'm also saying I don't want it to become, you know, pigeonholed into one particular area. Right. I want it to have the length and breadth. And I try to do that. I try to bring in all the, both the right and the left and everything in between right. into this. You know, some people may not think I do, but I do try. And if somebody comes to me with, uh, you know, with a project that they want to do that has to do with, um, you know, with um, gay rights, I'll do it. Somebody comes to me with a, a position that they want to talk about the the effect of Catholicism on Italian Americans. I'll do it. Yeah. You know. So I, I'll go from the. Oh, it's because this all of this encompasses who we are, but I won't. Don't want it to become pigeonholed all of one or all right. of the other. Because when you do that, then you, you exclude too many other people. But keeping that balance is extremely difficult because most people are not like me. I will. I, I'm not being gratuitous. I'm being factual. They will not try to do that. They'll try to promote their own particular agenda and their own particular viewpoint, which can be very narrow. Right. Mine is not narrow. It's not. It's very broad. And, it, and I want to be very broad. Which is why this space probably feels the way it does to me. It's as a, a three-dimensional feel. I mean, 
not just the space, of course, I'm talking about the spirit, in, in a sense, and if you start to pigeonhole it one way, it loses that kind of heartbeat, I guess, it loses well, that. Well, Dolores, before you asked, you asked about the other, you know, what we have in the artifacts and what's inside that we collected, when this exhibit comes down, I'm going to take out some of, I'm going to go to our trunks and take down some of the things that have not been shown. Hmm. I mean, I've got old, I've got hand crocheted altar cloths that I'm going to put up. I've got, also got pieces of art that people have, have, have donated. Uh, I've got paintings and sculptures. I've also got articles of clothing. I'm going to try to, the next few months, this space will be dedicated to that. Wow, that's, oh, that's amazing. Gonna, yeah, it's going to be great. Well, as we close this out here, uh, Dr. Shell, so where, what is the website for the museum? Website is www, very simple, italianamericanmuseum.org, O-R-G. It's one word, ItalianAmericanMuseum.org. And we're also on Facebook, okay. you know, and, and Twitter. So, I mean, if people want to, you know, people want want to follow us, they can. They should go to our Facebook page because we change things every week. Yep. And we put up new exhibitions and we put up new programs that, you know, they may want to come to see. And I hope they all come down. I particularly welcome groups, but individuals are welcomed on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays to come to the museum. And during the week, we, we, we have the events in the evening, and we, and we host uh, school groups and fraternal organizations and whatever during the week. Great. All right, well, Dr. Shelson, thank you for the time today. We appreciate it so much, and uh, we plan on keeping up. And please, be sure to like the Facebook page. I, we like their page, and you guys do put out updates very regularly. Yeah. You can kind of keep a beat on here, and if you are in the area... You gotta come. I mean, yeah, if you're, come to the museum, if you're Italian American and you want to understand, you know where you're from. I mean, look at the pictures here. The artifacts are amazing. Like Dolores said, you walk mm-hmm. in, the feeling is—it's kind of got that homey feeling. And for Christmas, we have up the Neapolitan Presepio, which is unique. The only other one like it up in New York City is at the Metropolitan Museum of mm-hmm. Art. This comes from Scapanopoli, which is in the streets of Naples. It was comes from the Frigno factory. Uh, handcraft, all handcrafted, was given to the um, the associations of Campania in America after 9/11. Wow. So this is on display now, and it'll be on display through the middle of January. Great, Excellent. and it's beautiful. Come yeah, down and see it. It is. All right, thank you, Dr. Shelton. Thank, thank you. you. My pleasure, Anthony. Dolores. It's wonderful. Okay. All right, now it's time for our Italian American stories segment of the show. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Shelsa. It's really something that you can kind of sit there if you're an Italian-American and soak up a lot of what he said and probably laugh a lot about some of the history that he went over. And now it's time for the Italian-American Stories segment where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, your conversations, and we try to play a recording or a story from one of our relatives and, and hopefully eventually one of your relatives. And we'll tell you in a minute how you can give us those recordings but in today's clip, you're going to hear a story from my grandma who, it's kind of a sad story about how her father got a job here in the U.S., not too far off after they immigrated here, but he got lost on the way to work his first day for the job. And, you know, he didn't speak any English, so you can kind of hear her crying a little bit in the clip, but it is does really, again, capture, you know, what the people went through when they came here. So here it is. My father gets a job and he goes on the trolley car to the job. Then we used to have the trolley cars, yeah. you know, like San Francisco, right. but not those kind of uh, trolley cars, trolley cars. And it was a freezing winter day and someone stole his coat oh. and he had his only nickel in to take the trolley car home. Oh. 
and he walked all the way from where the job was and and uh, when he came home we were crying because we didn't know what happened to him he came home oh, someone stole his coat and the nickel on a cold winter day he came oh, home gosh. without the coat he walked the whole way walked all the way oh gosh yeah then they used to have a place where you used to go and the government used to give the people free food they would give you you know how you buy the American cheese and they slice it. Yeah. They used to give us a big thing of cheese like that. And they used to give us uh, bread and and to keep us going, staples. Yeah, right. Did he have that job for a while? Oh, he had it for a while, but he wasn't making any money. And that's how he bought the horse and wagon. Oh, and, and then he, he started became the junk man. Became a junk dealer? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Junk dealer. He used to sell watermelon, he used to sell ice. Used to put the ice on the truck, wow. break up the ice. He used to sell it just around the neighborhood. Yeah, and he used to put the ice on his shoulder with a rubber thing, so it wouldn't freeze his shoulder. And he would take it up, and we all had ice boxes then. Right. The ice boxes were made with a tray underneath the uh, refrigerator, okay. and as that ice melted, it would go on that tray. Oh. And how many times did we forget to remove the tray that the water went downstairs to the people downstairs? Oh. All right, so I hope that you enjoyed that clip. And these are things that we want to keep coming for you. Dolores has already given a couple. We've got more. And now we want to have you leave yours. And and to do so, just go to ItalianAmericanPodcast.com. And there's a button that says, tell your story on the right side. You can click it. You have up to three minutes to leave a recording. And if that's not enough time, after three minutes, just you can do it again. And it'll send us a couple of recordings and we will try to work it into the show so you can get your story heard as well. Dolores, you want to kind of tell everyone where they can keep up with us and about the hashtag we're trying to develop? Yeah. So we have a lot going on on social media. We are on Instagram at um, Italian American and it's all one word. And I have been encouraging people to share photographs of their own families, their own Sunday dinners, their own um, now holidays are coming up. Anthony and I were going to be doing a Christmas special. So send along photos of your Christmases past. We really want this to be a community. We want it to be one big family, tutti insieme. So use hashtag Italian American Central and send those photos along. And um, all the photos that are tagged, we hope um, you don't mind. We might use them on the website and on our own Instagram pages. Awesome. And if you would like to get the episodes emailed to you when we publish them, just go to italianamericanpodcast.com and at the top, click join us. You can get on our newsletter and we'll make sure that we get them out to you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Italian American Podcast. We love it and we want to keep continuing to do it. If you ever have ideas about the show, just email anthony at italianamericancentral.com or dolores at italianamericancentral.com. And Dolores, why don't you take us out with a little Italian? Bravo, Bravo.